does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Good morning to you on a Monday. Jake Query along with Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen as well. As we will replay for you our interview with Chad Buchanan. Some really good insight about the Pacers draft coming up here uh, in just about 15 minutes. But to dive deeper, Kevin, on Jarris Walker... The, the draft pick for the Pacers, as you had talked about, from University of Houston. You know, if you look at most players in the NBA, and I've said this a lot, Kevin, and I know that things are changing a little bit in this dynamic, but when I go to Pacer games, oftentimes I'm sitting there and, and whoever I'm, I'm sitting with, I, I will. It, it hits me. I have this epiphany during the course of games where I'm watching it and I say to the person next to me, I go, you know what's crazy? Take whatever team the Pacers are playing. And more often than not, you know, there's some wing player that hits a big shot or something and you're like, man, where did that guy go to college? And you look it up and you're like, oh, I totally forgot about him. He was at Kentucky for one year. He was at Kansas for one year, Carolina, whatever. And I've always said, I'm like, the thing about the NBA to me that's fascinating is every player that you're seeing is the best player ever from their high school, ever, right? Like, you know, Eric Gordon, I went to North Central High School. Eric Gordon's the best player to ever play. And people still talk to this day about like when Eric Gordon was at North Central and when they want, you know, when they went to the state finals with Eric Gordon or Jason Gardner, one of those two guys. And they go on and on. And Eric Gordon's a nice NBA player. Right, he's just a guy in the NBA, though. He's a nice player. Cathedral, you went to Cathedral. The greatest basketball player in Cathedral. Who's the greatest basketballer in Cathedral High School? Ken Barlow, Scotty Hicks, Rylan yeah, Hainsey. I mean, we'll, we'll see what the Xavier Booker kid does at Michigan State, but um, yeah. Okay, so we'll take Ken Barlow. You know, Ken Barlow in the NBA was a, I mean, he was a predominantly overseas player, played, I think, with the Lakers in the NBA, but for the most part was just a guy. But people still talk about to this day, when you mention Cathedral High School, people are like, oh man, Ken Barlow, back back in 83, I'll never forget the, the, the regionals at Hinkle with Ken Barlow and Scotty Hicks. And every high school has that guy, right, that people still talk about 30 years later, 40 years later, whatever it might be. If and when you when you see guys when they get to the professional level, I think sometimes Kevin, it is difficult for players to find new roles at the professional level because they have been the guy their entire playing career. In middle school, they were the best player ever to play at their middle school. In high school, they were the greatest player ever to play at their high school. In college, they were the star or the the straw mixing the drink at the college level. Eric Gordon, when he was in Indiana for one year, was the leading scorer in Indiana, and people were like, oh my gosh, like Eric Gordon at IU, this is huge. It's the front front page of the newspaper when he decommitted from Illinois, now he's going to Indiana, etc. Jarris Walker played his high school basketball at the IMG Academy. He was on a roster two years ago that has like three different players that are that, whose names were called, along with Jarris Walker, in the draft on Thursday. 
Tamar Bates, for that matter, was on his team. And we know how much Tamar Bates likes to pass the ball. So, Jarris Walker comes in to a situation, Kevin, where the Indiana Pacers are not anticipating, expecting, or asking him to be the straw mixing the drink. They're asking him to be the the sweet and low that gets mixed in with everything else to help sweeten the taste of what they're trying to put together. And he is coming from a situation where that's what he has been asked to be in his style of play. When he was at IMG, and we're going to talk to his coach coming up here in an hour, but when he was at IMG, I'm not saying they didn't ask him to score. But he's playing with Jaden Bradley. He's playing with Tamar Bates. You know, he's playing with different guys. And so as a result of that, he's probably being asked to be the dirty work guy. And, and the defensive-minded, rebounding aspect of the game, I just think that that mentality and that experience of not having to be the centerpiece offensively is an absolute like godsend for an NBA franchise because you're not having to remold the player himself of what you need him to be versus what he has been. This is what he has been is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think it's especially true given the makeup of how the Pacers have played over the last handful of years. They've been such a poor team on that end of the floor defensively, such a poor rebounding team. Um, you know, they averaged, I, I don't know if we, we acknowledge this enough, the Pacers averaged 116 points per game last year. 116 points. That is the most in their NBA history. And they won 35 games with the best rim protector in the NBA, or one of the best rim protectors. I mean, they can't guard anybody. And that's why I think there was some hesitancy from people going back to the how you label Walker. You know, defensive player, you know, offense. We'll see if he can grow into that. You know, s- some people felt like, okay, too low of a ceiling for the seventh overall pick. But I just think this current puzzle and how you've built it needed such a defensive focus that this was the path you had to go down. It, it, could Walker, you know, does he have 10-time all-star potential? You know, probably not. You know, obviously that's a high, high bar. But he definitely is not the highest ceiling pick. But given how you've constructed things, and again, just how awful you've been on the defensive end of the floor, you you need that type of defensive-minded guy who brings an attitude on that end. And, and, you know, as much as Turner is a great rim protector, the issues that you have defensively are not protecting the rim. It's more of guys getting to the rim on such a routine basis. And when you hear from Chad Buchanan here in a few minutes, and he mentions, you know, we need a guy that can go guard Jason Tatum and guard Giannis. That's why I get back to, again, by now it was probably four or five years ago, but Thaddeus Young. And they, they're not the exact same body type, but that type of presence I think is really, really missing um, from this team. A um, couple of other things on the Buchanan front, Jake, that I found interesting with us. And again, we're going to replay that here coming up in a few minutes. He was very adamant that they were active not only in trying to trade the seventh overall pick for a veteran player, but also to try and trade back. I guess it would have been higher into round one. So they drafted Ben Shepard out of Belmont at 26. They were trying to trade back up into probably the teens to try and get Cam Whitmore when Whitmore, the Villanova wing, started to fall apparently due to some medical reasons. But 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 um, that was in addition to the pick they already had, right? In other words, they correct, weren't trying yeah. to pass. It was once they realized Whitmore was still available, they're like, whoa, wait a minute, should we jump back in here, right? 
Yeah, I want to say he said around pick 10. So they took Walker at, you know, 7, I guess technically 8. And then once they saw Whitmore, like, not go at 9, maybe not go at 10, they're like, oh, wow, he could start falling here. Um, so that will be, you know, I think it's just a reminder of when free agency rolls around next week. Obviously, you don't have the 7th overall pick, which is the big sort of chip and trying to move that to acquire a veteran. But I'll be curious to see with their cap space, which is north of $30 million, what they try and do to you know clearly make a move that is a little bit more on that win now front. Um, one thing to note as well with the Pacers, and again, summer league for them will start on July eighth. Did you see uh, Oscar Sheway from Kentucky will be on their summer league team and will be a, a two way contract guy for Indiana this year? Yeah, and and seemingly, I mean, I guess what else is he going to say? You know, this is a guy that was the national player of the year at Kentucky. Comes back. He is a rebounding machine, which I guess is what they need. Um, machine. I think there were questions about his overall athleticism, which is why probably he, he was, went undrafted. But I like the fact that he and, – and you can't read into this, I, I realize. But, you know, he sent a tweet like, hey, he's excited. You know, I'm ready to go. Thanks for the opportunity. And, like, uh, you know, let's see what he can do. Why not take a flyer on it, Kevin, right? Like, why not take a flyer on it? This would be the equivalent of, you know, if you had – I don't know, a wide receiver that put up dynamic numbers at Ohio State, but people thought that, well, he doesn't have the breakaway speed or the route running ability. He just has great hands, but he's not a great athlete, so that's why he didn't go draft in the NFL draft. Well, he put up huge numbers at Ohio State. Let's go ahead and sign him and see what can come out of it. That, that's kind of the same flyer here, right? And his dominant trait, Jake, is your biggest weakness. And so, yeah, that to me kind of checks out of, yeah, why not give him a shot? I am curious, would that have gone or would that have been the attempt by the Pacers for Trace Jackson Davis had he gone undrafted? Well, I think that was. I I do think that they – And and, Trace's camp just didn't want the two-way. Yeah, I I think Trace Jackson Davis wanted to go somewhere. You know, kudos to Greg Doyle because he – I think he had talked to Davis' side. Now, there's two sides to every story. We'll hear Chad Buchanan's side coming up here in about six minutes. But um, I I think that players – I have always felt, Kevin, that once you get – if you are an NBA prospect and you're sitting there on draft night, once you get to about like pick 35 in the last 15 to 20 picks of the draft, 25, whatever it might be, at some point you become better off going undrafted and then – being able to pick your situation that has the opening that best fits you as opposed to having somebody take you where it's just a bad fit and they're taking you because you were, quote, best player available. Uh, In Trace Jackson Davis's case, I do think that there were a number of teams that had probably talked to him and said, we would be interested in drafting you at this point and putting you on a two-way contract to oscillate you back and forth from the G League to the NBA. And I think the conversation was had of – we don't want to do that. There, there are teams that would still take Trace Jackson Davis and put him on the full roster, and Golden State was one of those. So it kind of, it worked out best for Trace Jackson Davis for sure. I know I know Indiana basketball fans and Center Grove fans and and Indiana high school fans were upset. Trace Jackson Davis did not end up with the Pacers, but if you're a fan of Trace Jackson Davis, you should be thrilled of where he ended up because it was the best situation for him, the player. Maybe not for you, the fan of him, but for him, the player. As for Chad Buchanan and the the side, the variation of what the Pacers were tempted to do with Trace Jackson Davis and what 
the exact game plan was and the execution of it throughout draft night. He joined us on Friday to talk about that. We will replay that for you coming up next here on Kevin and Corey, 93.5, The Fan. Not a cl- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Black hour underway on a Monday. Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We had talked about the fact that Jarris Walker, the first-round pick of the Indiana Pacers, began his high school career at Susquehannock High School, I think I'm saying that correctly, in Pennsylvania as a freshman, before going to the IMG Basketball Academy in Bradenton, Florida, the director of that basketball program at IMG Academy joins us now on the program Brian Nash to talk about Walker among other subjects I would assume but Brian first off good morning to you thanks for your time this morning yeah good morning guys thanks for having me hey I want to begin with this um give me a story about Jarris Walker you know you he was down there for more than just you know some guys maybe just come for a year I, I don't know how it works at IMG but you were around him a fair amount and you saw him probably develop not only as a player but as a young man over the course of the time that, that he was in Florida give me a story about him that you feel illuminates the kind of maybe person as well as player that Indiana is getting yeah, we were fortunate to have him, like you said, for four years. Uh, you know, in, in this world nowadays, sometimes you're getting these players for one, two years max. And, you know, for him, the, he, he was really the first four-year player that we had here at, on our national team at, at that elite level. Um, there's, there's one story that kind of stands out his freshman year. Um, you know, his mom and dad, Horace and Marcia, are incredible people and just you know, they, they did a great job raising him. And, you know, I think they had some reservations, maybe sending a freshman down here to, to, to a boarding school the, the first year. And, you know, I think it was maybe the third or fourth week of school. And, you know, Jarris, you know, as a, as a 15 year old at that time, um, got in a little trouble in the dorm, like nothing crazy, but just, you know, be, being a kid in the dorm and um, Horace, called us and said hey you know what i don't know if this is the place for my son because my son doesn't do things like this and he he was basically saying "Ah, i I might pull him out of school so um i think that story kind of goes back and relates to the character and and i mean jaris is a great player but i think he's been super successful over time because he has great character and he comes from a great family with great stock who've done a great job in in having him be an all-around person Okay, Brian Nash with us, the IMG Academy Director of Basketball. Obviously, Jarris Walker spent quite a bit of time down there in Florida before going to Houston for a season to play for Kelvin Sampson and then becoming uh, the eighth overall pick for the Pacers last week. Brian, do you remember your first impressions of Jarris on the floor? Uh, I know there was a little bit of point guard background. I'm sure physically he's always been one that stood out, just kind of, hey, I want that guy coming off the bus first for us. But do you remember your initial reaction to watching him on the floor and maybe how he grew over his time at IMG? Yeah, I mean, when he walked in here, we, we thought he was Larry Johnson. I mean, just for, for him to have that much size and to be as big as he was as a, you know, a 14, 15-year-old, it was, it was kind of incredible. Uh, you know, you, you don't see that too much. And the team that he came in on his freshman year, I mean, he's got three guys that are in the NBA right now. So you know, he, he was coming in and, and he really had to fit in, had to, you know, earn everything that he had and 
you know, I, I think Jared, the, the best way to describe him over, over the course of, you know, his development and what he is now, I mean, he's like a Swiss Army knife. I mean, he can just do a bunch of different things. He's, you know, he's not great at one thing, but, uh, but he's a great defender. He buys into defense. Um, you know, he's a great rebounder. And then offensively, I don't think he gets enough credit because he can score in a lot of different ways. He's become a much better perimeter shooter. Um, you know, he, he can be a mismatch guy where he can, you know, exploit guys inside or outside, depending on who's guarding him. Um, but, but again, I think, you know, early on, just the fact that, you know, his size was so big, I mean, it was intimidating to other people. And, and uh, for him to come into that environment right away his freshman year and, and, and have that much success was a credit to him. Brian, the defensive rebounding issue for the Pacers has been pretty well documented here in this market over the past few years. So obviously that was a major attraction for Indiana and Jairus Walker. Was that always ingrained in him? Was there always a defensive presence? I mean, I, I don't know many five-stars are just like, oh yeah, I'll go play for Kelvin Sampson. <laughs> that would strike me as right, a pretty right. intimidating, pretty, pretty defensive-focused mindset. Was that always there with Jairus? I think we expected uh, our, our head coach who coaches our national team, Sean Eckland, does a really, really good job defensively. So I feel like our kids get a, a really good base um, in, in regards to you know coverages and understanding you know how, how to take people out of things. So and then an expectation to to play play defense at a high level because if you don't, you're probably not going to play as much as you want to play. And then, uh, you know, as, as you said, I, so I think he had a good base going in and then going to play for Coach Sampson, who's, you know, old school and tough and, and demanding. Um, you know, we've heard some things about, you know, the practices that they have. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think to your point, Jarris has a mindset of, you know, he's not a, not a prima donna and he's got to get all of his shots and he's just a team player and he wants to win. So, um, you know, de- defense and rebounding are usually the things that, um, if you do well as a freshman in college, you, you get more minutes. So uh, I think that's definitely in the DNA. Brian Nash is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. He is the basketball director for the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, where Jarris Walker played. Brian, I was talking about this earlier, and I wanted you to, to well, certainly correct me if I'm wrong on it, and if it's accurate, you kind of add to it. One of the things I think that is advantageous about Walker's situation as he comes to the Pacers, you know, we know they have Tyrese Halliburton. We know they have Benedict Matherin. The the offense is not going to flow through Walker. He is going to be asked to be a a piece that does other things. And many players in the NBA come into the NBA. They were the best player in the history of their high school. They were the, the leading scorer in the history of their middle school, high school, freshman year college, et cetera, et cetera. He strikes me as a guy that has the mentality of, I'm going to do the other things necessary to help my team win because he played for the better part of his high school career with guys that were the straw mixing the drink, and he was not. A, is that a fair assessment? And B, did you have to? does a player have to learn that, or did he naturally have that kind of a mentality? Yeah, 100%. I, I think that's a great way to categorize him. Uh, so, but like I said, freshman year, he came in and, and really earned minutes with three other guys that were really successful college players, NBA guys, because of his hard work and, and just doing what coach wanted. You know, as players progress, his sophomore and junior year, like anybody, you know, he played a lot inside his freshman year and 
um, you know, you want to develop your game. You want to work on your perimeter handling. You want to work on your perimeter shooting. And you know, he struggled a little bit in his sophomore and junior years because you know you, you want to transition to a guard, and that's not necessarily what you are. And sometimes I think you need to go through that process and struggle a little bit to find out who you are and like what the best version of yourself is. And I think that sophomore junior year helped Jarris realize a little bit that come senior year. Um, to your point, he he had to play the five primarily for us, and I don't think that was something that he definitely wanted to do. But guess what? That was where he was going to be the most successful for our team to win. It's what coach needed him. It's the position coach needed him to play. So I think you hit it on the head. I mean, he's just a selfless person, and the ego that you see in a lot of these younger players that are highly successful at a young age, I mean, He's just a special, special person and has special character. What is an area of his game that he – because I think of him as like bulldog defender, you, you know, can hit the boards obviously. Give me an area of Jarris Walker's game where he has not been given enough credit that could perhaps even further blossom at the NBA level. Yeah, I think he can – you know, I know you said earlier that, you know, people aren't going to play through him. Like, I mean, I, I think you can play through him because – he, you know, he can he can put the ball on the floor and he can make plays. I mean, he's a he's a really good straight line driver. He's got good speed. He knows angles, how to get to the rim. Um, he's a good passer uh, when he's making plays off the dribble. And then you know, he's improved his shooting a lot. I mean, if you look at his form and how it's how it's changed over the course of you know the last two years, and he's put a lot of time into it. And you know, he's he's a you know. In the NBA, you have to be a serviceable shooter in order to play to get on the floor the way the game is right now. So um, I definitely think that you know consistency in his perimeter shooting has gotten a lot better. Again, Brian Nash is with us. He is the director of basketball down at IMG. Brian, I've played the golf course down there. You guys got a nice golf course at the IMG Academy. <laughs> yeah, there's a few good ones down here. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, a few out of my price range. IMG was actually decently affordable for my brother and I. Um, I did want to get to Zach Eady, if you don't mind, in just a second, but one more on the Jairus Walker front. Uh, Personality-wise, I know you hit on this a little bit earlier. Um, Youngest of three sisters. You talked about his parents. Again, guys I just don't think that are going to be top ten picks willingly sign up and play for for, for Kelvin Sampson like that. How would you describe Walker off the floor? Carlisle told a great story on Friday about how – after the press conference, before um, Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard flew back to their respective cities, Jairus asked Rick, "Hey, you care if I get a workout in before uh, you know before we hit the plane?" Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe Jairus Walker from a personality standpoint? Yeah, he's a uh, he's a soft spoken young man. Uh, you know, again, I think, and that's the respectful piece of how he was raised. But he's also, I mean, he, he was kind of a team comedian. He he was that guy that. Uh, you know, you, you didn't you wouldn't expect it from him, but as you know, as he got more comfortable in the program and he got more comfortable around people, he's got a you know, he's got a very he's got a joking side to him too that I think uh, you know, people really don't understand. But uh, again, overall, just uh, you know, just a, a high quality person, and I mean, he, he's the first four year player that we said we had here. So you know, the, the just the, the the amount of time that we were able to spend around him and to see his growth was it's just it's just really rewarding. 
And I hope I'm not catching you too off guard with this, but obviously in this market, Zach Eady, um, pretty big name, and I know he won't be in the draft until next year. Didn't spend as much time down at IMG as Jairus Walker, but uh, what can you tell us about what led Zach, what led Zach to IMG? And obviously, uh, pretty remarkable growth into being one of the more dominant players college basketball has seen in quite some time. Yeah, his his story's incredible. I mean, I don't think anybody could have ever predicted the 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 way it escalated and elevated. Um, you know, Zach Zach had uh, I had coached in college for twenty five years before I got here, and one of my former players was an AAU coach up in Canada, and he was actually coaching Zach and said, "Hey, I got this big kid. I, you know, I'd love for you to take a look at him." and Zach ended up coming down to campus for Under Armour had uh, like an elite. So some of their better players on their grassroots circuit came down IMG for a, for a long weekend. They wanted to kind of take care of them and put them in a in a good environment against the other competitive players. And Zach came down, and you know we we, we just we had a vision. We, we said, hey, I mean this kid is huge. He's got good hands. He's got good feet, and um, let let let's take a shot on him. And you know came down for his junior year first. He didn't play on our national team because um, we wanted to get him more reps and we wanted to get him playing time to develop. And then, you know, senior year played on our national team and, you know, had a, had, had a really good year. But, like, again, I don't think anybody could predict, you know, the, the trajectory of where he's gone now. Last question for me, Brian. Brian Nash is our guest. He is the basketball director at IMG Academy. IMG is one of those, Brian, you know, I'm 50, and I remember, I, I guess I won't say the names of them because I don't want to, like, mention competitors, I guess, but, you know, when I was a kid in high school, there were a couple of basketball academies that occasionally, not occasionally, but each year there'd be one or two, like, five-star type players that were coming out of uh, areas like in the Virginia area. IMG in the last probably decade, I think, has become ubiquitous amongst conversation of football and basketball recruits. Can you tell me a little bit about IMG itself? Because for whatever reason, I was under the assumption that it was just like a almost like a workout facility. But this is an actual prep school for for regular students and student athletes, or is it a sports based prep school? It's a it's a sport based boarding school. We'll we'll have about fifteen hundred students this year in nine sports. Where we're just adding volleyball for the fall, um, and every one of our every one of our students here plays a sport. We, we don't have any students who are just regular students. So it's really a, it's really a unique environment. Um, you have a culture here where everybody is driven. Everybody is on the same path. I mean, it's a, uh, it, it's, it's a developmental Academy where we're, we're getting kids better. What we're, it's a holistic approach as well too, because we deal with leadership, mental conditioning, the nutrition side, the sports science side. Um, I mean, we know everybody comes here because they love their, they love their sport, but you know, the, the, the additional on top things that we provide for the kids are, you know, you just really can't get those anywhere else. Well, can a student go there, for example, a, a basketball player, can, can you go to IMG Academy to take the basketball uh, approach to it and yet still not be on the team that is representing IMG. Does that make sense what I'm asking? 
So we'll have to give you scope. Well, we had 18 basketball teams this past year. We start at middle school and we go all the way up to post-grad and we have multiple teams gotcha. at each age, le- each age level for, for developmental purposes. Um, you know, our, our most competitive players are on our national teams, which put them in an environment to play against the, the, the most competitive players and the most competitive schedule. And then we also have, you know, some players who are a little later evolving and, you know, they need a little bit more development. So the, the, the model that we have across the board at the academy is pretty, you know, it, it's pretty unique from that standpoint because everybody makes a team and everybody's able to, to get put in the right position for their development. And you guys had Jet Howard get drafted as well, Brian. Wasn't there somebody else? Yeah, we had uh, we had three in the top sixteen this year with uh, Jarris, Keontae George, and Jet Howard. So uh, it, it was uh, it was a good it was a great year for for the ascenders. Quite quite impressive. It's a beautiful campus. Again, I've been down there. The golf course is right there as well. It's a great area, and obviously the product and the results speak for itself. Three in the top 16 is darn impressive. Brian, um, enjoy the rest of your summer. Appreciate you hopping on with us, giving a little bit of insight into uh, into Jarris Walker. Thank you. No, thanks. you got a great one, and next time you're down here, please, uh, please give me a call. Stop by. Will do. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thanks, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin, from where you sit here in the studio, oftentimes we gauge the weather based on your ability to see one of two residential buildings in downtown Indianapolis, and those buildings would be? Uh, Riley Towers, for certain. Though that's um, I, guess, I guess there's two of them, right? Uh, correct. The two Riley Towers are, are usually the barometer that we use. If you can see them from your locale, that means that it is clear outside. But, of course, there is another residential building in downtown Indianapolis that went up, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. I call it the Flash Cube. Uh, you two would probably be too young to remember that, but back in the day, you would buy literally a flash cube for your camera that would go onto the top of it. And one of the buildings downtown, uh, I, it's condos or apartments, is in the location that was formerly, of course, Market Square Arena. Now, Kevin, did you go to Market Square when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a big fan of Market Square Arena, just nostalgically speaking. There's no way today that Market Square Arena probably could you could use it because the fact that you could drive underneath an arena while it had 17,000 people in it is, unfortunately, in today's post-Oklahoma City 9-11 world, unthinkable. But on this date, June 26th of 1977, probably in retrospect, what turned out to be the most famous moment in the history of that building, and of course, Market Square Arena was leveled in i believe it was 2000 but the most famous moment or the most iconic moment in the history of that building and at the time i don't know that people realized what they were witnessing but we can now look back and say um it was a 46 year anniversary of this moment here go ahead and hit it mark Ladies and gentlemen, 
Thank you and good night. That's how it sounded on June 26th of 1977 when Elvis Presley played at Market Square Arena. He was scheduled to go to Scotty Johnston is here in the studio, so I will ask Scotty in his own pop quiz. Scotty, Elvis's next concert was scheduled to be where? Scotty is thinking. Kevin, do you have a guess? Uh, his next concert was supposed to be in St. Louis. Mark Dykton, do you have a guess? I'll say Detroit, Michigan. Uh, both of you are close. Not correct. He was scheduled to go to Milwaukee from here and did not and he he I hate to say it, he did not look good. And if you watch that nineteen seventy seven concert, um he didn't sound good. I mean his voice was good, but he at times was you could tell he was under the influence of something, I'll say that. And so Elvis Presley uh canceled on his way to Milwaukee, they canceled it. He went back to Memphis, and it was some, I think, six weeks later when he passed away. I don't know that he really made any public appearances between his last concert and when he passed at Graceland. Um, I think I've, I've mentioned before, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, something like that, maybe 10 years ago, I was driving back from Mississippi, and I stopped in Tupelo, Mississippi. I went to the birthplace of Elvis Presley. And I'm not a huge Elvis fan, but I'm like, oh, you know, there's Tupelo. So went and saw where he was born and then thought, you know what? I'm going to go out of my way on my way home and go through Memphis. And I'm going to see where Elvis, I saw where he was born. I might as well see where he lived, even though obviously it's where he passed as well. But so I drove from Tupelo to Graceland, which is like two hours and at that time, there was an Elvis channel. I don't know if there still is on, on satellite radio. So I turned over to it, and I kid you not, the second that like I got on the, the highway, they were like, now, let's take you back to June 26, 1977, the final concert of Elvis Presley. And I'm like, holy cow. So I, I made the drive while listening to his concert in Indianapolis. And again, I'm not some big Elvis fan. I know he had a great voice. I know he was a great singer and entertainer. I know there was a lot of great things about him. Uh, he sounded terrible in that concert. You could tell that uh, that was the beginning of the end. But anyway, did you ever find the ago. woman? Did Did you ever find the woman you tweeted about last week? Or no, was it last week? Now, or a couple you, weeks ago. Do you think that was like that stuff fascinates me, Kevin? The in that concert, and obviously right there in terms of like he didn't just like get off the stage and then leave the building. That Mark had edited a couple of minutes out of the middle of that. But when Elvis Presley got done with the concert, he took his scarf off somebody told me that that the scarf that like their uncle has the scarf that he had and i'm like man that thing's got to be i can't imagine what the value of that would be if it was verified to be the scarf that elvis was wearing but as he was leaving the stage in market square arena he, he bent down and shook hands with like two people just you know and one of them was a younger woman she looked like she was probably 25 and he he reached down and kind of like shook her hand and like you know patted her on the shoulder and then immediately st- left the stage and went right to a car looked like a ford ltd and was gone and was out and i'm like oh my gosh like that woman this is the the weird way my brain works kevin i watched it and i thought to myself that that for all intent and purposes is the last like stranger in a public encounter to ever like shake hands with elvis presley ever and she probably lives in Indy, right? I mean, she would be, if she was 25 and that, she'd be in her early 70s now. Like, I wonder who that woman was. And I tweeted it out. Several people responded, but nobody said they knew, they didn't know exactly who it was. But, um, but you know, the, the 
the mystique about him and, and the aura of him, I have always thought it was kind of a neat trivia question, morbid as it may be, to say that his last concert was at Market Square. There used yeah. to be a plaque down there. I think they moved it, didn't they? Is it inside the Whole Foods? Because the last time I, I they had it right there where the Whole Foods was, and I think to be honest with you, Scotty, I think they might have taken it down, or somebody might have taken it. Because I went aisle for four it now. <laughs> we got to clean up next to the Elvis plaque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh huh. Yep, that's right. So someone just dropped a jar of pickles, and it's they, now on the ground. Actually, it there. should be near the bacon. That would be that would be the most. There fitting, you go. Right? If it was near the. Uh, oh mercy! <laughs> That's nice right. job, Mark Dyson, on that one. Uh, something I'm looking forward to reading today, and anytime this guy writes anything, I'm always looking forward to reading it. But especially now with his new gig, um, I believe this is his first thing he's published in the new role. You see Zach Kiefer's first stories out from a national standpoint. I did not see that. What's it? Um, who is he writing about? So it is a long-form piece here, if I have this correct, on Adam Pac-Man Jones. Remember Pac-Man, the corner for the Bengals? Yeah. And he is raising, and I did not know this, do you remember former West Virginia Cincinnati Bengal wideout Chris Henry, Jake? Yes, he was the one that, didn't he die on the back of a pickup truck? Am I wrong in that? Correct. Um, some sort of dispute with his fiance, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. And yes, died getting dragged. Um, uh, yeah, on that vehicle. Uh, he, Adam Pacman Jones, is raising Chris Henry Jr. Really? And that is the long form feature. And again, the, the story itself obviously has a lot of tragedy involved in it. Um, Zach Kiefer. I, I know will do an incredible job at bringing this to light. Um, Chris Henry Jr. is a six-five wide receiver in the Cincinnati area. Um, he is a very highly ranked recruit. Again, 2026, we're still far away out on it, but uh, by all accounts, it's going to be a pretty good football player. So quite the story there from Zach Kiefer. Uh, and again, this will be Zach at his best when it's a long-form piece that he can spend a lot of time on. There's no one better. By the way, speaking of raising, I uh, wanted to mention one more time, we're raising money. My friend Steve that I met through Wheeler Mission, um, my Twitter account, at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, I have the link up to help raise money for um, the services for Steve who passed away last week. I did get a text here. Jake, I might have known Steve. I was one of the homeless men that hit the streets in February of 2013. Um, I was nonstop on the street until December of 2021, but now I've celebrated one year of marriage, and I have a home, a career, and most importantly, peace. Thank you for your compassion to Steve and for embracing him. Again, my Twitter account, at Jake Query. It is the pinned tweet if you would like to make a donation to help out. Kevin, enjoy the vacation today. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody, to Kevin and Query here on a Monday.